We're in Matthew 6, verse 6 today, and it says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Matthew 6, verse 6. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, you guys. Good morning. How are you? Good. Yeah, Jake said, my name's Bree Golden. I'm one of the community pastors. If we haven't met yet, come say hi. I'd love to meet you. A few years ago, a wild thing happened to me. So I'm gonna tee up this story and uh, give you guys a good story to start. My husband, Pete, and I, and our son, Michael, decided to get our sailing certifications. Uh, it was the pandemic, and we had this wild idea that we were gonna start a nonprofit for pastors that were dealing with burnout by taking them on sailing retreats. So the first step was to become certified sailors. And our, for our finale certification, this was like quite a process, uh, ASA 114, we had to sail a 44-foot catamaran all the way from San Diego to Catalina Island and back. It's 280 miles, and like the whole way we were performing drills and uh, having to take tests. We lived on the boat for five days. Uh, and the sea state was pretty rough at some times. We were like out in the middle of the shipping yard at one point, uh, the shipping lane. So we, de we dealt with some hefty swells. Uh, for days, we were like riding up and down these waves like it was an, a roller coaster. And you don't necessarily realize it when it's happening, but your body and your mind like adjust to this constant movement, right? It's called getting your sea legs. So for, for a week, we had constant connection to the movement of the sea, to the sound. Uh, let's see, I think we have a little video to show you how, what I mean. Like I said, it was like a roller coaster. Okay, here's the wild thing. The morning after we returned, we're back home at our little house in Ocean Beach, and I wake up like normal, and I go get my coffee and my Bible, and I go sit by uh, on the couch like I always do every morning by this window, and I'm gonna just spend some time with Jesus. I like to watch the sky go from like dark to light before all the planes come overhead, you know? And I could hear waves. And I thought, my mind is playing tricks on me. This must be like the road noise. There's no way I could be hearing the ocean from this window because keep in mind, like at this point, we lived in this house for two years, you guys. So I would definitely know if I could hear the ocean, right? In the 730 days that I'd sat at this window, or mostly, I would have heard them at some point. But as I sat there in the quiet of the morning, I became sure of it, I could hear them. And I yelled out to my husband, I was like, I think I hear the ocean. Is there like a giant king tide or a storm coming in? Am I crazy? Is this because we just spent five days on the ocean? And he was just like, yeah, Brie, of course you can hear him. I hear him every day. But you guys, this was the first time that I heard the ocean from our house. There was something about being on the water for those five days, like acquainted with its existence, its movement, away from all the other distractions that awakened my ears to hear something that had been there all along. And I think this is sometimes true about our hearing of God, right? Ruth Haley Barton, she's one of my favorite authors on Silence and Solitude, she says this, Technology is keeping us distracted with the outer world rather than being in touch with the inner world where our soul has something to say to God and where God is wanting to say something to our souls. Have you guys felt this? The pull of distraction to the outer world? The reels, the feeds, the scrolls, all calling for our attention. 24-hour news cycles, right? The pressure to keep up with the latest trends or like, What's the latest streaming device and the latest version of iOS? Distraction is just a reality living in 2023. Entire realms of neuroscience and psychology are being like s devoted to studying distractions effects on our minds and our bodies. Um, I learned this this week. Did you guys know you can now uh, pursue a career as something called a distraction scientist where you can actually learn how to distract people? What's the culprit for all this distraction? 
Recent studies show <clears throat> that the average person spends four hours and 25 minutes a day, and that's the average, on our phone. And during those four hours and 25 minutes, get this, it's likely that we encounter over 1,700 different voices. 1,700 different voices. Distractions are, it's affecting our attention spans too, right? Rewiring our brains and our dopamine circuits. Focus is a serious issue, and our ability to do deep work is hard. There's a book by Cal Newport, Deep Work, maybe you've read it. Last week, John Tyson put this picture on Instagram, I related. Like nothing left at the end, right? We relate. A world of information at our fingertips, but what was it I was focusing on again? Death by distraction. The thing is, distraction isn't just affecting our habits and our attention spans and our deep work. It's forming our hearts. Dallas Willard says, what has our attention has our hearts. So as thousands of voices compete for the attention, for our attention, the one voice that matters most, you guys, the one voice that matters most can get lost in all the noise. And Satan, he loves this because if he can keep us distracted, surrounded by all these voices, being pulled into like the vortex of all the pressures of life in the outer world, it becomes impossible to hear the voice of love, the voice of our Father, the same voice that spoke to Jesus, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So, throughout the summer, we've been in a series called Shema, Hearing God's Voice. Hopefully you've been around for most of this, but just a little recap. We've talked about understanding the nature and the character of God. We've explored how to hear God's voice practically and how to listen to God through a spirit-filled heart. We've learned the importance of responding to God through uh, his voice through Sabbath. And then last week, Benji taught us about words, the weight of words and the power they possess as they're spoken over us and by us. Um, but today, there's a question I want to address, which is this. How do we hear the still, small voice of God, his whisper? God's voice speaking to our soul. How do we hear this in all the distraction and chaos of a loud world? So in essence, how do we hear the voice of God in all the noise? How do we hear it? Is there a place we can go to hear it? And if so, how do we hear it once we're there? So this is the plan. Anyone like a roadmap? We've got a roadmap for you. Uh, we're going to briefly look at a few ways distraction assaults our intimacy with God but we're not gonna camp out there for too long because mostly I want us to look at how do we resist being formed by the noise? How do we resist being formed by all that noise? And we do this by cultivating intimacy with God in what the Bible refers to as the secret place. In our teaching text, we read about this. This is where Jesus went to escape distraction and hear the voice of God. The secret place is where he communed with the Father it's where he received identity. He was sustained for his mission. He broke free from the fear of man. He fought the attack of the devil. He was comforted, empowered. And then ultimately, you guys, we see that the secret place is where Jesus surrendered his will to the Father before the cross. The secret place is death to every voice and identity that rivals against the voice of God the voice of love, and Jesus knew this. So if we're gonna follow his example, living out our mission like we, we just saw the J-Cat on the screen, be, become, do, we need to step out of the shallows and go in deep to the secret place. So are you ready? You ready? Okay, first point. Distraction assaults our intimacy with God, keeping us in the shallows. Living in the shallows, this is, what, this is the way that Jeremiah describes it. Do you know this place? He says, cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert. 
in a salt land where no one lives. Living in the shallows, this is what I'm calling it. It's where, it's where our focus is diverted and our attention is divided. So first, distraction diverts our focus. Think of King David, the man after God's own heart. He wrote songs about the secret place. He knew intimacy with God, right? He knew it. And yet he also knew life in the shallows. Because one day he sees Bathsheba and she's bathing on the roof and boom, he's diverted. And distraction, it took David far from God's plan for his life. And it didn't just affect him, it hurt everyone around him. Sadly, you guys, we see this same story today in, in, in the church. A ministry leader who's living for Jesus, who loves the church, and something grabs their attention, right? Their focus. Maybe it's sex, money, fame, and before you know it, they're diverted, and they've fallen, fallen away from God. Distraction, it also divides our hearts. It fractures our loves. Do you, do you know the story of the rich young ruler in Mark 10? He's a good man, he's been making good choices, he's, he's doing good things and he sees Jesus, they have a conversation and he asks him a good question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And listen, Jesus, this is the very first thing Jesus says, that the text says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. So there's compassion. And then he goes after the one thing dividing his heart. He says, one thing you lack, Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. This is Mark 10. Jesus goes straight to the core issue, exposing the one thing dividing this man's heart. And I don't know, like was it the, was it the pursuit of security or independence? Um, maybe he just liked living the good life. He liked nice things. But whatever it was, he couldn't go all in if it meant giving it up, right? Something else had his heart too. His affection was divided. The text says he went away sad. So distraction, it's forming our hearts. It leaves us diverted and divided, living in the shallows. Attempting, this is like when we're attempting to draw life from dead places. And it makes me think of this verse in Jeremiah too. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. But are you guys ready for some good news? Jesus didn't come so we can live in this place. He didn't come so we can live in the shallows. He came so that we would have life. Right? He came so that we could have abundant life. Look at, first, look at John 10. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is good news. And from his example, we learn about a place that we can go to to receive that life. So we're gonna look at Jesus' example. Look at Luke 5, 16. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And this is not the only passage that talks about Jesus withdrawing to a solitary place to be alone with God. Uh, we're just gonna look briefly at some of these other references in the gospel. But before performing the miracle of feeding the 5,000, he went up to a mountainside. Immediately before choosing his 12 disciples, he spent the night praying to God. Before Peter's profession of faith, he went in private and prayed. And then on the mountain, when the, before the transfiguration, he goes up to pray. We see this again before he taught the Lord's Prayer. And then before the garden, I mean in the garden of Gethsemane, before the cross. You guys, Jesus went to the secret place. He went there. And looking at these texts, I don't know about you, but it doesn't seem to me like he was being pressured to go there. Like, I don't think anyone's like, Jesus, your work-life balance really needs some adjusting. We really want you to get away. This isn't like a chore on his to-do list, you know, time with God, check. No, this seems to be his lifeline. He wants to be alone with God. 
In fact, in the hours before he went to the cross, this is where he wants to be. He went to the secret place. So why? Like, what's so great about the secret place? What did Jesus receive there? And what, why should we wanna go there too? So point number two, defining the secret place. And just looking back at our teaching text today, when you, it says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So what is the secret place? What's all the secret talk? And is this sermon going to be about making a prayer closet? No. Some of you are disappointed and some of you are relieved. You guys hear this. First, the secret place is, is not mainly about going to a place. It's not mainly about going to a place. It's about being with a person, God. It's where we intentionally disconnect, disconnect from the distraction and the noise for the purpose of encountering God in a relational way. And prayer that takes place in the secret place, it's not just like one-way prayer like we can tend to think about it where maybe I lay, I lay down at night and I say my prayers. No, this is like a two-way conversation that involves speaking, listening, yielding, and receiving. The secret place is where we go to be with God. It's where we go to commune with Yahweh. Just think about this. We get to go to a place and commune with the same God that said, the very same God that said, let there be light and a dark sky filled with stars. We get to commune with this kind of God, the same God. Communing prayer, do you know this kind of prayer? It's different from other kinds of prayer. I'm not saying it's better. I'm not saying it's better, but it is different. It's different than just praying in the shower or the car or when we're at work or taking care of kids. And praying throughout our day, it's beautiful. So hear me, it's beautiful. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. We should do this kind of prayer. But prayer in the secret place is distinct. It's about meeting God in a focused, intimate way where we fully devote our attention, our affection, and our will to God to commune with him. Our attention, our affection, and our will. And if Jesus needed this kind of carve out before cell phones, then don't we need the same? Don't we need the same? I love how mystic Jeffrey Imbach, def uh, he defines this communal prayer. He says, communal prayer is essentially the expression of our heart longing for love. It's not so much the listing of our requests, but the breathing of our one deepest desire to be united with God as fully as possible. So in the secret place, we both seek to know who God is and we seek to understand who we are to God. It's where we go to experience being loved and where we go to express our love for God. In the ancient poetic language of the Bible, in the book of Song of Solomon, the communion in the secret place, it's described intimately. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. It's intimate. And you guys, intimacy, it takes time, right? Patience. Cultivating the secret place, this is a process. It's a process. We can't just love someone we don't know, right? So keep in mind that knowing God generally precedes loving him. And if you're in a new place with God, in a new place in your relationship with him, loving him looks like getting to know him. Sometimes we get to know him before we feel that affection for him. In the secret place, we do both. We seek to know him more fully and to love him more deeply. So how do, how do we hear God's voice in the secret place? Hearing God's small, still voice, some people call it the tug of heaven. It can be natural, I think even instinctual to us, but can we just agree it can be confusing? Since God often speaks to us through our own hearts and our own minds, I think we tend to hear his voice in the same fashion we hear other thoughts, right? Evan talked about this in detail a few weeks ago. So if you weren't here for his sermon on how to hear God practically, you gotta check it out, it's awesome. 
The point is, it can be hard to know, is this God speaking or my imagination or both? And my guess is there's probably some of us in this room that have had experiences with people who've claimed to hear the voice of God and those experiences have left us wounded, maybe disheartened, maybe angry. Maybe we've seen or experienced someone who's leveraged the concept of hearing God as a manipulative tool to gain authority over someone. This is sad. Or power or fame. Or they've used the phrase, God told me, as a way to just substantiate or validate something that they already just want, right? And then thinking it will help them fit into some kind of like spiritual environment, people can end up imposturing what it is they desire to experience, which ultimately keeps them from experiencing what it is they desired, to hear God. All of this is very sad, but as a result, and this is why it's important, this is why it's important, many people don't realize the intimacy with God that's available to them. We don't realize the intimacy with God that's available to us. Talking about this Eugene Peterson, he says, they don't necessarily lack the experience of hearing God, but they don't understand how their experience works. Case in point, I think we see this in the Bible in the life of Samuel, right? God spoke to him many times before he realized it was the voice of God and it took him time to learn how to respond to it. But this is important. What we believe about the God who speaks will affect our ability to hear him. What you believe about the God who speaks will affect your ability to hear him. If you don't think he's loving, his voice will probably not sound very loving. This is just like a little bit of how it was for me to live in my house for two years and not realize I could hear the sound of the ocean. So let me explain. If we don't have the scaffolding, like the foundation to build our experiences upon, it can leave us feeling confused, deficient, maybe angry. We can feel like an outsider boxed out of the cool kids here from God Club. Like this kind of relationship with God is for someone else. It's just like beyond our reach, right? Or worse, you guys, or worse, people can fear that they aren't worthy of God speaking to them, that there's something they've done and that's why they can't hear God. And why would we want to spend time cultivating a place of intimacy with someone we think won't meet us there? Like, why would we do that? So let's just get really practical for a minute and break a few things down. Uh, some of this might be a repeat from some of the other sermons, but I think it's important. Generally, when we talk about hearing God's small, still voice, we aren't referring to the audible voice of God, like how we hear one another in a casual conversation, like how I would talk with Allie and hear her back. This is how I would describe it. Hearing God's voice in our soul, it's like being guided or directed into a relational interaction with God where through the spirit, we perceive something he wants us to know. It's a perceiving. Maybe a thought or a phrase comes into our mind. This might have happened for you. Or we feel a nudge or like a warning, like, mm. Maybe a Bible verse comes back at a critical moment when you didn't even know you knew. Sometimes we have a sudden keen awareness of God's heart for another. Or of a place that he's moving or he's working. It's like a spotlight, right? Like illuminating. This is where I'm working. And we see this. Um, it could also feel like a force sometimes, a force propelling us to like an act, maybe an act of obedience or surrender or to worship God. I've experienced all of these things. There are lots of ways people describe hearing God. And I think it's really important that we remember that we're each wired really uniquely. So doesn't it make sense that God, who's a relational God, would speak to our souls according to the unique ways that he's created us, right? It's not gonna look the same. So if you're concrete and logical, God will probably speak to you in a concrete and logical way, maybe through scripture. If you're highly imaginative and passionate and the whole world is in color, maybe you'll, you'll hear God through imagery or emotion. And while we can't always know with certainty if a thought or a vision is from God, 
there are some really good ways we can test it. We've talked about some of this before, but it's worth repeating. Hearing God only makes sense when it's in alignment with his will, according to his word. Hearing God should always draw us in closer to his presence. God's voice always calls us home. Think of the prodigal son or Jesus going to rescue, leaving the 99 to rescue the one. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance for relationship. So yes, sometimes God's voice sounds convicting. It's, it brings conviction. But remember, it's Satan who accuses. And then hearing God begins and ends with knowing Jesus. Here's another filter you can use. Any revelation then that claims to be from God but does not sound or look like Jesus and it fails to draw us into deeper relationship with him, no matter how supernatural or profound or wrapped in Bible verses it is, it should be set aside because you guys remember, we talked about this at the beginning of the series, Jesus is what God has to say. This is Hebrews 1, right? It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. So do we wanna know if what we're hearing is the voice of God? We can ask this question. Does the voice sound like Jesus? Is it gentle, lowly, kind, bringing us home? Will it make me look more like him? Because the words God speaks to our souls, the small, still voice of God, it can't be separated from like the word of God, the logos, or the word of God, the Bible, and the word of God, the logos, right? It can't be separated, they're the same. They're the same. Can I tell you guys about a time that I experienced this, just for some context, a few weeks ago? Um, a few weeks ago, I was praying, praying to God, and this particular morning, my prayer was full of some, honestly, some lament and protest. I was just bringing some pain to God over a relationship that's been hard for me. It's been hard. And honestly, I was asking God to take away the hard, just bringing him my full heart. And um, do you guys know the Dwell app? Does anybody have the Dwell app? It's like scripture being narrated behind pretty music, or with pretty music behind it. So I got tired of hearing my own complaining voice to God and turned on uh, the Dwell app and I was meditating on Psalm 136. It's, this, it's the Psalm that says like a hundred times, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It repeats it over and over. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And at the end of hearing this, I was just quiet, and all of a sudden, I just had this line in my head, like, you know those reader boards? It was like a reader board in my head with this line, and it didn't even feel like my thought. It was, there was like weight attributed to it. And this is what I heard. This is good for you. And the voice felt like very correcting, if I can be honest, but it also felt very comforting. Like I felt God's kindness in this and, I, and I, knew what he was, I knew what he was telling me, that this relationship that's hard for me, God's doing something in it. It's making me look, look more like him. It's making my love look more like Jesus's love that's never ceasing, that's steadfast. So just a little example, but the correction felt kind. And I think, I think that that's something to just, to just note. Okay, last main point. Are you guys still with me? You're quiet today. You're really quiet. All right, uh, point number three, cultivating the secret place. So how do we cultivate the secret place? If this is a place we should go, how do we cultivate it? And three things to note, our response matters, our posture matters, and our obedience matters. So number one, our response matters. Imagine you've been invited to the world's best dinner party. And like, the best, with the best of the best, whoever that is to you. 
whoever that is, you've been invited to this dinner party. You get the invitation in the mail, you're like so stoked. You're thinking about your outfit, you're thinking about like where you're gonna get your, if you're gonna get your hair done. You're thinking about all these things and you think, I cannot forget to RSVP to this, to this party. And so, but you can't RSVP yet. So what do you do with it? You stick it like on your fridge, right? And it's, it's like next to the things that are on your fridge. So after a few days, it just kind of starts to blend in. It's like the other pictures that are there, the grocery list, maybe you have a magnet of the Padres games from last season. And before you know it, the party's come and gone. You forgot to RSVP and you missed out on the whole thing. This would be crazy, right? To ignore an invitation like this, to dine with like Queen Elizabeth or whoever, whoever your person is. But don't we do this with God? Don't we do this with God? Look at his invitation to come to the secret place. You guys, you have been invited. We have been invited. This is his invitation to come. Look at this. He says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. We have been invited to commune with the living God. And our response to this, it matters. It matters. It involves our participation. And dare I say commitment. Do you wanna know how someone develops intimacy with God in the secret place? They go there, they get there, it's a priority. They say no to the thousands of voices that are like calling for their attention to say yes to the one voice that matters, the voice of love. It's a holy prioritization where we make conscious exchanges to unplug from corrupt power sources. It's a carving out of spiritual space in a secular culture. It's cutting the lines that are tethering us to the shallows and getting to the deep. Do you guys wanna go there? Getting to the deep with God. Okay, if you're new to this, it might feel kind of strange at first. Don't be intimidated. Just show up, show up, start where you can. It's like a new workout plan. Start where you can, listen as you can. Maybe you turn on the bread podcasts, on the, uh, the bread episodes on the Park Hill podcast. Get somewhere quiet, alone. Express your desire to God in prayer. And I'm telling you, I don't know why it matters, but sometimes it just feels like it does. Say it out loud. Tell God, I am hungry for you. I want to know you. Whatever is in your heart, just bring it to him. Express your desire. Read a scripture, sit in silence, meditate. Think about God in this space. Have you guys seen The Chosen? The imagery of Jesus is vivid. Bring that back to your mind. Think about it, the way that Jesus was in, the, in some of those episodes. But the point is, we think about God in this space, we talk to God in this space, and then we do something that we're often not very good at. We listen. We listen. Just get quiet. And don't worry about what you hear. And don't worry even if you hear something. In fact, if you're new to this, it might take some time. Just attune your heart to God by thinking about who he is and see what happens. And, and I just, I guess I kind of dare you to do this. Do this for six months and see what happens. I've really never met anybody that does this and their life's not changed. This has changed my life, you guys. Maybe you're here today and you're like, Aubrey, I know the secret place, me and Jesus you've got a prayer closet. But let me just ask you, how is your zeal? Has the hunger to hear God weaned, in some, weaned into some apathy? Respond with an expectation for more. Stir up your affection. Remind your heart of who God is and what is possible in this place. There can be more. 
there can be more. We can be all flame. We can be all flame. Have you guys heard this phrase? Do any of you know the stories of the Desert Fathers, the all flame story? A hand? No? Okay. This is going to rock your worlds. You guys can Google this later too. The Desert Fathers. There's an, old, an older father who's been with Jesus for a lot of years and a younger guy. He's apprenticing and he wants, he wants to know how to build intimacy with God. He, Abba Lot, that's his name, he goes to see Abba Joseph and he says to him, Abba, as far as I can say, I do my little office, I read my Psalms, I fast a little bit, I pray and I meditate. I live in peace with the others as far as I can. I purify my thoughts. Tell me, Father, what else more can I do? And then the old man, Abba Joseph, who's been with Jesus a lot in the secret place. He stands up and he stretches out his hands towards heaven and his fingers become like 10 lamps of fire. And he says, if you will, you can be all flame. The point is our fire with God can always grow. It can always grow. And our response matters. Number two, our posture matters. You can learn a lot about someone by looking at the direction their heart is leaning. Henry Nouwen said this. And it's true, right? We tend to lean in towards what we want or what we long for. Our posture says a lot about what we desire. And there's a connection between our physical posture and our heart posture. Tons of studies on this, guys. Like mirror neurons and all of that. Our bodies often reflect our emotional state, right? And sometimes our emotional state can be altered just by changing the position of our bodies. The point is there's a correlation between our heart posture and our physical posture. And when we're trying to build intimacy with someone, the position of our, our heart and our body, they just matter. Have you ever been on a date with someone who keeps checking their phone? Full confession, this is generally me. You're trying to have a meaningful conversation and they're just like, and it's like, lean in. Come on, lean in. Give me your attention, right? Leaning in is important in our intimacy with God too. Our lean matters in the secret place. Our lean into God both generates longing, it generates it, it stirs it up, and it shows our longing, it displays it. It's hunger, and God loves to meet the expectant heart. This is often a place in our apprenticeship with Jesus where we mature beyond just wanting the things of God, what God gives us, and we become filled with a hunger to know God himself. It's not that the gifts he gives us aren't good or that we're not meant to enjoy them. I'm not saying that. We are. It's that being with the giver of the gifts is better. Being with the giver of the gifts is better. I think of Mary as she poured out perfume onto Jesus' feet. Think about her lean. She's leaned in close. She's hungry to bring her worship. Think of the disciple John. He's leaned against the chest of Jesus, just hungry to know his master. Or Thomas, leaning in to touch Jesus' side, literally hungry to believe. I think of Peter. I love this picture of Peter. He's literally leaning out of the boat, throwing himself into the water to swim to shore. The other, the other disciples row there. He's like, I've got to get there to embrace the resurrected Jesus. Leaned in because he's hungry for reconciliation. Or the picture of the, of the bleeding woman in Luke 8. She's been dealing with an isolating illness for over 12 years. It's a long time. She's hungry for healing. She's tried everything. And no one's been able to help. And she sees Jesus in the crowd, the man that they call the Messiah. And she's heard the rumors about what he can do. And so she pushes her way through the crowd. Maybe just a touch, 
right? Maybe just a touch and he'll heal me. And she leans in and she reaches for the hem of his robe. Notice two things in all of these examples. These people were desperate to encounter Jesus. They're hungry. And they came as they were. They're raw, they're honest. They came with their doubt. They came with their desires. They came with their frustrations. They came, they came with their love. They came honest as they were. Hunger and honesty. There's something about our hunger and our need that arouse the compassionate heart of God. There just is. He notices, he turns. God is drawn to the heart reaching for him. So if we want to cultivate intimacy with him in the secret place, our posture matters. Our honesty and our hunger. And then number three, our obedience matters. I know. Our obedience matters too. Look at John 14, 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Just like our hunger for God awakens his attention, so does our obedience. Our obedience matters to Yahweh. We can't earn his love through it. We cannot earn his love through it. But we prove our love for him in it. Does that make sense? We can't earn his love through it, but we prove our love for him in it. Please hear me, Park Hill. I am not saying that our salvation is hinged to what we do or don't do for God. The grace and mercy of Jesus are what enable us to have a relationship with him. Our salvation is not hinged to what we do or don't do for God, but this doesn't mean that our actions don't matter to God or that they don't affect our intimacy with him. When we yield, when we surrender to God in obedience, our heart merges with the heart of God. There's a merging that takes place. Our desires are confronted and reordered. There's a conforming to his. And even Jesus surrendered his will to God. And guess where this happened? The secret place. Look at this, this is in Luke 22. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. He's honest. I wish there was another way. If you're willing, take this cup from me. But he yields to God. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And then, I, know, I, I love this next part. I saw this a couple of months ago and it's just, it stuck with me. The angel strengthens him and then look at the next line. Do we have it? And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. So he's strengthened by the angel and he's still in anguish. And I think if you're somebody that is suffering today, this can bring you comfort. Jesus identifies, and his surrender was costly. That's the point. His surrender co was costly, it was painful. To be honest, we can't even fathom the cost of his surrender, right? Jesus lived and he died a surrendered life and he asks us to do the same. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus promises a sort of exchange 
for when we surrender in his name. It's like life for death. It's pretty good. Honestly, you guys, I'm not sure that we can fully understand what we gain in our surrender on this side of heaven. I think sometimes we get a glimpse, but we only know in part. But we can know this, and you can take this to the bank. Our surrender isn't meaningless. It's not meaningless. It's doing something. 2 Corinthians 4, it's achieving for us an eternal weight of glory. Therefore, outwardly, we're wasting away, yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs it all. And then there's just this surrender. It always brings us closer to Jesus. It just does. You guys, I'm a middle-aged woman. I've lived long enough to tell you that there is a correlation between our obedience and joy. And I wanna highlight that word today, it's joy. There's a, there's a correlation between our obedience and joy and freedom. When God says no to something, a lot of times he's saying, don't hurt yourself, I have more for you. This isn't what's best. These invitations to surrender are always for our good to bring us in closer, to bring us home. And my guess is, if talking about surrender, there's just like a thing in your head right now. Maybe it's been there for a while. My experience with surrender is that it often is a process. You guys, Candidly, there's times in my life where God's asked me to lay something down and I waited way too long before my hearing turned into obedience. But when I did joy, freedom, deeper intimacy with God, so no judgment, no condemnation, but can I give you a motherly exhortation this morning towards joy? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This is scripture. Do not harden your, your hearts. Respond, obey. Come experience life. This is what he promises, life. Trust that Jesus is always inviting us to more, not less. So, how are you guys doing? How is living in a world of distraction faring on your soul? I just wanna ask that this morning. How are you doing with it, with all the distraction? How's it affecting your, your own soul, your family, your relationships? I think maybe the most important question I would ask you this morning is, can you hear the voice of love? Are you winning the war for intimacy with God? Because in this culture, it's a war. Have you made him your hiding place, as it says in Psalm 32, your refuge, as it says in Psalm 46, your strong tower, Proverbs 18. Is he where you go to hide, to receive comfort, to receive strength? You guys, this is where we go when you know what hits the fan. This is where we go when we need comforted. This is where we go when we need to celebrate something. This is where we go. So I, I wanna invite you this morning, just a simple invitation, wherever you are in your relationship with God. Whether you are new to faith, maybe, maybe you're even just questioning faith. Maybe you've been walking with God for a long time. I wanna invite you to something this morning. Come closer, go deeper. There can be more. Life, leave the shallows. Get to the deep, cultivate a secret place. Very practically, how could, you, how could you respond to this invitation today, this week? Maybe lean in closer in worship this morning. Don't worry about who's around you or who you came with, what they think. Let your body posture reflect your heart posture. If you're desperate for God, raise your hands to him. If you need to kneel before him, kneel. If you wanna celebrate, dance. 
Let your body reflect what your heart feels. Reach for God. Or maybe this week, you wanna commit to spending more time alone with God, to cultivating the secret place, to making it a rhythm, rhythm in your life. Or maybe there's something that you just feel like God is asking you to obey this morning, to surrender. Surrender can be laying something down. It can also be picking something up. So we're gonna have, if you're a community group leader, you could come to the sides right now. We're gonna have community group leaders. If you wanna pray with someone, you can pray with someone this morning. You guys, when I was thinking about this sermon, what, the, the prayer of my heart, like the cry of my heart was that you would just see that you would catch a vision for the intimacy that's available to you with God. That wherever you're at, you would just wanna come closer and deeper to the one who can heal us and change us and give us hope and freedom. I hope you hear that this morning. There's not condemnation, come closer. Come closer to Jesus. I sense that there just might even be someone that's already laid something down in surrender to God a long time ago, but it's still just causing you, like, like there's just something, this, this thing is still just there between you and God, even though he's already forgiven it. He's already forgiven it, it's what he paid for. Step in closer and deeper. So I, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna close by reading God's invitation over you again. Wherever you're at um, with God, again, just closer, deeper, guys. So if you feel comfortable to extend your hands out in a posture of receiving, let me just read this over you. God's invitation to you. God's invitation to you. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you declares the Lord. Amen.